0: Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Amos, Word Famine. The book of Amos. Yeah, Amos. Amos, Amos. We graduated out of Joel. Like I said, we're trying to just hit the highlights. Tough for me to do. I don't like highlights. I like nitty-gritty stuff, but I really feel like God's leading me toward the highlights, and so I'm trying to be as best I can. And We're really going to be hitting the highlights of Amos today. And we're going to be all over the book. So you can just turn to the first chapter, but that's not where we're going to... Not we're going to be. In fact, as soon as you turn there, I'm going to put on the screen chapter 8 because this is the theme of the book. This is all the way to chapter 8 before he gives us the theme. Yeah, that's what he does. Um, because this is what it really revolves around, what's really happening here, the pivotal verse, uh, what really God is trying to say through this prophet of what's inevitably coming because of the, the condition of the people that he's speaking to. And this is what it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine. Pay hey, attention to that word. Words matter, don't they? They're not just random stuff. Uh, I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or thirst for water, but rather a hearing of the words, for hearing of the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from north even to the east, and they will go to and fro and seek the word of the Lord. They will not find it. How, how is that possible? It's a, you know. First of all, let's put it in context here. These God is saying that to the people of the book. I mean, one of the things that they did, one of the things of, of the, all the debts that we owe the Jewish people, is they maintained the book called the Bible, uh, particularly the Old Testament. They maintained it. They, they kept it. They, they protected it. They translated it. They were very careful with it. So how is it possible that people who successfully kept the book, obviously not without God's help, but who are always in possession of the book, always in possession of the word, how is it possible that they have a famine of the word? Well, I, I want to make sure that we, our definitions are correct here and that we're not confusing uh, words. And even though I may confuse it in my sermon here, uh, I want you to get the nef- definition correct. Uh, famine is not a drought. They're not the same. Now, a drought can cause a famine, but a famine is not necessarily due to, the, to a drought. A famine can be caused by a lot of things. In fact, a drought is, is lack of water. Isn't that right? The famine can be caused by that, but a famine can be caused by too much water. Uh, you ask our farmers down here; they can get rain at the wrong time, and buddy, it's over with for their crops. Uh, we had some of that happen this year. As a matter of fact, here uh, in the valley, just got rain th- at the wrong time, uh, got too much rain, and uh, maybe as uh, because of hail, you may have a great year. Everything's going awesome, and you get one big storm and one hail uh, situation, and then it's all over. A case in the Middle East. We've been looking at the Book of Joel. Uh, the locusts move in. Uh, there's no famine. There's no hail. Water comes at the right time, and then whammo, locusts move through, and there's not a single thing green in your entire garden. Uh, that'll cause a famine. Uh, then there's blight, uh, rain in the wrong times of the season. Uh, famine doesn't come. Listen, from lack of provision necessarily. It just comes from lack of production. There may be plenty out there, just simply didn't produce, and uh, that of course. When there's not enough to eat, that's the famine. Now, how it, how it was caused, like I said, it can be a variety of things. And famine from hearing the Word of God doesn't mean it isn't present. It just seems, it means it's not productive. Uh, it's, it's like you planted and everything's going along fine, then all of a sudden there's, there's a disaster. Well, that can happen also with the Word of God, not because the Word of God is unproductive. Because there is a, the famine is caused, it's on our side of things. So we, we decide whether there's going to be, if you will, spiritual locust, uh, 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 whether there's going to be rain in the wrong times or lack thereof. Our, our state It's a state of self-imposed judgment due to sin. We live in a similar day. That's what's going on in the day of Amos. Uh, we live in a similar day. Pro- proliferation of the Word of God, uh, but very little production. Uh, there's a drought, listen, caused by sin, which produces the famine of the Word Drought caused by sin. You're in a drought situation, I mean a famine situation with God, maybe you ought to check uh, your sin level, your sin quotient. Because it can definitely cause a famine. It really can. Uh, and we have these crazies on television proclaiming uh, new revelations from God. People are flocking to Him by the hundreds, thousands of people going, listening to Him, sending their money, doing all this kind of stuff, and, and uh, proclaiming to have new revelations from God. We're going to hear a new word from God. Of course, there is no such thing. And all the while, they have all this That's being totally neglected. God is speaking, guys, gals. He has been speaking. He will continue to speak. He demonstrates his love to us and that he's given us. He didn't owe you the Bible. He didn't have to tell you anything that he was doing. He didn't have to bring you in on any of his stuff, but he has because he loves us, you see. He's he's wanting to bring us, but but if we're nothing but hearers, we're not actually listening, well, then there's definitely going to be A famine. People are seemingly famished for something from God, but in fact, there is no drought for the Word. More Bibles today in more languages and in more hands of people than there ever has been. So what's the problem? The Word of God has ceased to work? No. People of God have ceased to listen. That's what really is going on. We've ceased to listen. And as a result, there is a famine. It's the drought of obedience or disobedience that brings the famine of the Word and maybe if there's a famine spiritually in your life, you ought to check out a little thing called obedience. It may just change things for you. So let's see what we can learn from Amos. God consistently, as I said, demonstrates his love for us and his desire for our fellowship and relationship with us because he continually speaks. I mean, how do you know a relationship is over? Quit talking, he quit calling you back. Uh, at least on God's side of things, we can know the relationship is definitely not over because he loves us, because he continually speaks. Uh, time has changed, but the times the times of Amos are, are on us, I can assure you of that. So let's, let's see what we can learn as God speaks to Amos, as God speaks to this person, Amos, and help us understand how, what he may be saying to us today. So first of all, uh, let's consider the man. So who God spoke through, who is Amos, who is this guy? Well, he is, I would suggest to you, not the most likely person for a mouthpiece for God. Just not the typical person that you would pick. Uh, he certainly wasn't the person, as far as Amos concerned, he didn't think he should be picked. As far as anyone else is concerned, nobody thought he should be picked. Amos was a guy who, who was uh, on the occupation line of his tax farm. If you fill one of those out, it would read sheep herder and uh, fig picker. That's what he was. <laughs> so that's, what kind of credentials are those, right? Where, where, how many letters do you have after him? You know, I got sheep herder and fig picker. That's all I do. Take a look at chapter 7. Like I said, we're going to be back and forth all over this book. Turn with me to chapter 7 of Amos, and we can fly all over this thing, because it's a little bitty book, because these are these little prophets, right? And, uh, but don't, don't, don't mistake their short words for lack of power, because there's certainly a lot of power here. Chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. Take a look. There's this, his occupation, his reply to Amaziah, who's trying to run him off. Amos answered and says, I'm not a prophet. So, now wait a minute. So the whole book is a prophecy, and you are a prophet. But it's, in other words, he's given his call. He said, "I don't know. I know what I'm doing, but I want you to understand. I understand why you have a problem with me because I'm not one of these guys. I'm, 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 I'm. An, I'm, I'm you think I'm unlikely? I'm saying I'm agreeing with you. I'm not a prophet. He says, nor am I the son of a prophet. I got no, no letters after my name. No, no heritage. No, no, uh, uh, nothing. To, no lineage to pull on. None of that. He says, I'm, i 'I'm a herdsman.'" I'm a grower of sycamore figs," he says. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, "Go prophesy to my people Israel." So he's he's an unlikely person. He's a very unlikely person. Not a clergyman. Not a professional in any way. Not a Bible degree. I mean, all he had it was his devotion to God and passion for justice. That's all he had. He didn't have anything else. And so, as far as anyone else is concerned, he's a nobody. Not only is he a nobody, uh, as we're going to see, he's from nowhere tells us in the first chapter and other places that he's from Tekoa. Tekoa is a place that if you have not read anything maybe other than the book of Amos, you probably would have never heard of it because that's exactly what it was. Not even people from Israel necessarily knew where Tekoa was. Tekoa still exists, by the way, over there. And when you go with us to Israel, guess what? You will never see Tekoa because there is nothing to see. No roads go through there. It's on the way to nothing. It's the dead end of everything. And even though we live in a place you have to be coming here but people come here, right, because there's something to see here. Tekoa, nobody goes there. If, if, you, if you've heard of Tekoa, it's because you live there. And Amos was one of the few who did. So six miles south of, of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. It's just six miles. I mean, you hear these cities and you think they're huge. Jerusalem, Israel's a very small place. Six miles south is Bethlehem. Six miles south of Bethlehem is this, the city, if we could say that, is the, is the place uh, called Tokoa. And uh, you know we sing the song at Christmas time, "Oh, little town of Bethlehem," and that's because that's all it ever was. Today, it's Palestinian territory. It's got about sixty thousand people in it. But in the days of David, in the days of Jesus, it was just a few houses and a few shops and nothing else—just a tiny little town. Well, the people of Taqwa, when they go to town, they would go to Bethlehem. So to, that tells you it, in relationship to the size. So Tekoa is just a wide place in the road, more or less. Uh, it, it is a, the, the, the name literally means a, a campground. That's what it means. So the name of your city is a t- campground, yeah. Because it's a little more than a gathering place for wilderness sheep herders. That's what Amos was. So to say you are Tocoa is like, say, you're from Timbuktu or something. I mean, you're just out there. I mean, tacoa is kind of just a regional place. And so uh, that's where he's from. So he's, he's nobody and he's from nowhere and he has got no name whatsoever. And so, so here we have this, this, uh, this man Amos with nobody from nowhere and God sends him to one of the best places, one of the most important significant cities in the whole northern territory. So you've got two, two countries happening here. One in the south called Judah, that's the, where Amos is from. And one in the north called Israel. And they've been separated, they've been fighting for more than 100 years at this point. They're at peace at this point, and so he can legally cross the border, if you will, as, a, as an alien over into Israel. But first of all, he, he wouldn't be a person that you would listen to in his own country, so what makes you think at all he'd be a person they would listen to in someone else's country? And he doesn't, just go, he doesn't go talk to the other back, backwoods farmers up there. He goes up and talks. He's, he's in the royal city, one of the royal religious cities. Uh, there were two of them in the northern kingdom. One of them was Bethel, and that's where he goes. And this is a progressive city. This is the trend-setting city. This is the, the opulent uh, city in every way. And uh, talk about a, a, a no-name sheepherder from the sticks coming to uh, come into town. Well, that's exactly what you have going on here and really nothing else. So why, here's a question. Why would God choose him? Why? Why pick Amos? No lineage. No education. No uh, body from, from nowhere. Well, I would say to you, without a simple answer, is because that's just God's pattern. It is God's pattern. Uh, take, a, take a look at what this says. This is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, two, chapter 20, chapter 1. Uh, verse twenty-seven, twenty-nine. But God has chosen, notice, the foolish things of the world. That's what Amos would seem like. You'd be a mistake to take him for that. So how foolish was he in that his words that he spoke are recorded forever for all posterity in the word of God? I think he's not too foolish. The foolish, seemingly, things of the world to shame the wise as if it, that were true, which it isn't. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised things. <laughs> God has chosen, it says, the things that are not so that he might nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. He didn't send him the likely person. He sent him the least likely person so that nothing would get in the way of the message. It wouldn't be because we're not listening to him because of his great oratory skill or because he comes with great uh, uh, credentials or because he comes with all these degrees or becomes, he comes from a certain school or whatever. No, he's just a hick. From the southern country. And he shows up with these words. And whether they hear them or not, nonetheless, they are indeed the word of God. So why does God choose us? So maybe, so there's God's pattern, right? This is God's pattern. So why does he have that pattern? I think there's a lesson for us to learn in this. And it's an important lesson either positively or negatively applied to our lives. God has a pattern of choosing the least likely for this reason because we are at our, listen, at our worst when we think we're strong. We're at our worst. Your worst day. Your worst day is when, when you're not on your knees. When, you, when you, you forgot to pray today. You forgot to read the Word. So what does that tell me about your dependence upon God? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think we're in the bad range, aren't we? Because some, somehow or another, you've you forgot to do those things because they're not a priority for you. Because you really don't think you need them, do you? That's your bad days. That's your bad days. Because here's what happens when we think we're okay. Our pride becomes our undoing due to the fact that we do it without him, without dependence upon him. And, 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 and we, when, when it goes well, who takes the credit? And by the way, the same is true when things go bad. Who do we say? Well, I don't know. I don't know what God's up to. Well, God's up there saying, probably up to nothing, because you won't let me in your life. You're messing up all by yourself. You're just doing it all by yourself. So, so we're at our worst, first of all. Why does God choose this pattern? Because we're at our worst when we think we're strong. And number two, because God's strength is better when we're weak. It's seen better. It's seen better. Now, so, that, so nobody assigns the credit for, to anything but God. So, God chooses this pattern. So, if you think, well, oh, I'm, I'm weak and I'm incapable, well, you may be just the right person. Just the right person for God to use. Because it's the person that thinks they're all that and doesn't depend on God. They're the ones that are in trouble. They're the ones that are in trouble, truly. So, so, in the Old Testament, Moses is 40 years with sheep. He's 40 years. And um, I don't know if you've ever worked with sheep, I haven't either, but you, it's kind of a lonely existence. You're kind of just out there. Sheep live in the wilderness. Sheep eat grass, they don't live in town, they don't live near people. So Moses' 40-year career of having very little conversations, and any conversation he had with a sheep really didn't matter because the sheep are really stupid and it doesn't really matter what you say to them. So basically, 40 years of just silence, he goes home at night and sees his wife if he gets to do that, but other than that, he has no conversations really with anybody for a 40-year career, and God comes to him and says, I'm going to send you to speak to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. So what is Moses' answer? Same as yours. I'm not a person who speaks. I don't do that. I've never been eloquent in speech. Forty years of not doing it. I mean, yeah, he probably isn't. So, so, so So he picks the most unlikely person, I would suggest to you, and not eloquent in speech in any way, and he sends him to speak to the most powerful man in the world. Sends him for 40 years in the wilderness after this to speak to the children of Israel sends him to write in written, the written speech, if you will, the first five books of the Bible. Moses is an unlikely guy. But God chose him. God chose him so that we wouldn't miss. Moses was not full of himself. Moses wasn't full of anything. He was just simply, okay, God, if that's what you say, kind of person. And, and listen, that's what God's looking for. Okay, God, if that's what you say, okay, God, if that's what you want, then I'll do it. I trust you, thou, but I'm not trusting my own ability. I'm not trusting my lineage or my heritage or, my, or my, the letters after my name. I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. I'm relying on, most importantly, I'm relying on you. We can say all kinds of stuff, but where's our heart? So first the person. God speaks through. And by, by the way, the people had an opportunity to choose. God chose Moses, an unlikely person. God chose Amos, an unlikely person. The people chose Their first king, remember who he was? Saul. Was it a good thing or a bad thing? Do you remember why they chose him? Three three very important reasons. He was tall, he was dark, and he was handsome. And there is no other reason why they chose him. You look at it. Look at the scriptures. Head and shoulders higher than everybody else, it says. That's what he was. He was tall, dark, and handsome, and it was a massive mistake. But when God is allowed to choose a king, who does he choose? The youngest of eight sons, the youngest son of Jesse. A sheep herder, by the way. You know where David kept his flocks? The same mountains where Amos kept his. It's interesting, the choices that God makes. Finding these simple, seemingly simple people and turning them into powerful men of God because they don't trust themselves, they trust the Lord. So first the person God speaks through, and then the time in which he speaks. There's a great time stamp. Amos gives us a time stamp. You want to know exactly when he said this stuff? He tells us. Look at Amos chapter 1, verse 1. Amos chapter 1, verse 1, a time step. It says here, the words of Amos, who was among the sheep herders from Tekoa, like I said, that's like saying Timbuktu, which he envisioned in the visions concerning Israel, notice, in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, that's the southern kingdom, that's where he lives, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, that's the northern kingdom where he's headed, the king of Israel, notice he, and very specifically he says, two years before the earthquake. Now what is that? Well, it meant a lot to them. It doesn't mean a lot to us. If I told you I was in New Orleans two years before the hurricane, does that, that make more better sense to you? So that's the same message that he's conveying. You're two years before a massive disaster, the two places result of an earthquake. Same is true if in New Orleans if I had been there two years prior to that. So he puts a very specific time stamp. And so we have, we have knowledge of at least when, when he did this. But really the question is not so much um, what time was it when he said this, but what were the times like? When, so we, we know who God speaks through, unlikely people in a lot of cases. So when does he speak? I would suggest to you he speaks in, in what we may otherwise consider to be unlikely times. They were unlikely times for God to speak because of the circumstances here, because they were times of prosperity. It seems like God will be speaking when times are rough. Listen, guys, you better listen to me because things are just going to get worse. Well, uh, no, these were definitely not bad times at all as far as the times were concerned. Consider what it says in, now we're, Keep going. Amos chapter 6. Amos 6, verses 4 through 7. Notice the condition of the times. Those who recline on the beds of ivory, these are the words he's speaking. He says, I'm writing to those, speaking to those. Anybody here got a bed made out of ivory? I'm thinking if you got a bed made out of ivory, you have some extra money. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe you should invest it more wisely. i got a suggestion for you. (laughs) Those who recline on beds of ivory for crying out loud, who sprawl on their couches, who eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of harp. they got a lot of money and a lot of free time just to do some dancing and singing and stuff. Times of prosperity, right? For sure. And like David, have... Compose songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls, while they anoint themselves with the finest of oil, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph, therefore uh, they will now go into exile at the head of the exiles and the sprawlers' banquets it says will pass away. So these massive feeds they've been doing and all this kind of stuff, it's going he says it's gonna cease to exist. So when does he speak? He speaks when the stock market is high. That's when he speaks. He speaks when interest rates are down. He speaks when the pursuit of the almighty shekel in Israel is ahead of pursuit of justice and righteousness, which is one of the things he pretty much uh, lay, lambasts here in the book of Amos. He speaks when housing is booming and, and opulent lifestyles, obviously when the borders, borders are secure, when 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 there's no war. And it's hard to read the book of Amos and not think about us. It really is. So when does God speak? You're you're living in those times. These are the times when God is speaking maybe the most. And unfortunately, the famine is caused not because God isn't speaking, not because there isn't a flood. There's no drought of his word, guys. The the, the famine comes because the, 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 the flood of the word has no production in our lives. So it's not that God isn't speaking. It's just that we're not listening. That's when God speaks because that's when we need the greatest rescue. So we live in an economy that's stronger than it's ever been. A military maybe stronger than it's ever been. Uh, no fear of war or famine. We got it good all the time. The only things that we're concerned about on a regular basis is who gets kicked off of America's Got Talent and off the Voice. I mean, wow! What a hard life. We really got it bad over here, don't we? It is in times like these that God speaks because He loves us and He knows that when we're not. When we don't automatically go to our knees. That's our worst days. That's our worst days. That's when we're greatest danger. That's when we have the biggest problems. Uh, there's nothing like prosperity to lull us to sleep and to lull us into thinking that we don't need God. And by the way, to talk us into stuff that we wouldn't otherwise do. I want us to consider what their prosperity had talked them into and the conditions that Actually, they found us on the outside. You may look in and say, that's the country I want to be a part of. God's blessing them. Those are the people. Look at how they live. Let's do what they do. Because while, uh, you know, uh, their lifestyles were amazing. But but consider what God actually saw under the surface. Turn to chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Consider what they had been talked into, if you will. By their prosperity Why does God speak in prosperous times because what prosperity can do to us? It can eat us up. Chapter two verse six, starting with verse six. "Thus says the Lord, "For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they sell the righteous for money." Wow the needy for a pair of sandals, these who pant after the very dust of the earth of the heads of the helpless. In other words, they're robbing the poor blind. They don't care. They don't even leave them any dust to deal with, if you will. And also turn aside of the way of the humble and And a man and his father resort to the same girl And in in order to profane my holy name, he says, and on garments taken in pledges as they stretch out beside every altar. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. In other words, still the poor. They've been taking the last things that the poor have. How How did it come to this? How did they get here? People of the book that have the book, the book is written for them, the book is written by them, is given to them. Not a, not a drought of the word, but a definite famine. How did it get to this place? Well, this is what happens. This is what was underneath it all. This was under the surface. And this is what they looked like. On the outside, they looked like the favored people of God. On the inside, God says, no. No. Not true. One more spot. Chapter 7. I know we're racing back and forth in this book. Like I said, we're, we're hitting the highlights. I promised. Chapter 7. Verses 7 through 8. God's going to show Amos a vision here of what really he's going to do. And what he's going to do is striking and, and, and important because, like I said, from the outside, it looked like everything was going right for Israel. Everything was straight and in line. And it could be the same true with our lives. We can look at our lives and people say, oh, I wish I had your life. I wish I knew it was, I wish I had you. And you say, Well, I, this is the best I've ever been. Well, really? Let's just find out when God does what he does to the nation of Israel. Thus he showed me, it says in verse 7, chapter 7, Behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall. Where's vertical? So this is horizontal. Vertical would be, yeah, up and down. Now, one of the important things for walls, I don't know if you know this or not, but is that they actually be vertical. And vertical means a 90 degree of... Of absolute, and how do they do that? Well, these walls are vertical the last time I checked because we had people that went through with a level and checked them all. Back then they didn't have these bubble levels that we use to make sure things are straight. And so what they would do, and we still do, do this today, is they would take a string and they would tie something heavy on it. They call it a plumb. We even have those things, a plumb bob, and something heavy, a piece of brass or a rock or whatever. And they would hold the string. Well, if, as soon as the rock hangs straight and doesn't swing, you know what level is. You know what straight is. And you can hold up to anything that may seem straight, and you can see, oh, it's off a little bit this way or that way, and you can straighten it. So the whole world without a plum looks at Israel and says, Man, they're straight. They got it. And God says, I'm gonna pull out a plum and you're gonna see what I see. You're gonna understand what I what what I understand. You know, sometimes things look straight to us because we're crooked. Just the facts. Things look good to us because we're not. They go right along with what we think because we're not thinking right. I'm going to pull out a plum, he says. I didn't read it all. Let's read it. I'm going to pull out a plum line, he says. And the Lord says, uh, what do you see, Amos? And he says, I see a plum line. then the Lord says, behold, I'm about to put a plum line in the midst of my people, Israel. And I will spare them no longer. I'm about to show what's really going on. They're going to see it. Everybody's going to see it. Anybody been here? Been there? It's not an optical illusion, that thing is. Right? It's canned over the leaning tower, famous leaning tower of Pisa uh, in Pisa, Italy. Uh, off, ooh, that kind of looks bad. Don't know what's going on with my color. The back wall actually has a better color if you want to look at that one. The leaning tower of Pisa, Pisa. Uh, Started being built in 1174, completed uh, two centuries later in uh, 1350. 16 and a half feet off of perpendicular. Wow! And you know why it's 16 and a half feet? Because it was a century ago, it was 15 and a half feet. It's it's losing about a foot a year. I, I'm sorry, a century. And so it's going. So what's so what's eventually going to happen? They're shoring up. By the way, they're putting. You know, you don't worry. You're going to get to see it. It'll still be there. Uh, they're shoring it up with all kinds of cement and doing all kinds of stuff to it. And they're not going to straighten it up, of course, because it's famous. But you don't want to drop a marble in any of those rooms because it's going to go right out the window on the other side. You don't need a plum to know that that's off, do you? You don't need that. And see, if that's, if that's the way everything was, if, if, if we were always straight, then the world should look like this to us. If we were always straight, the world should look bad to us. If, if we understood what was really going on, but if the world looks great to you, let me tell you something, you're off. The reason why I look straight to you is because you're crooked, and things aren't right, and you're having an easy day and an easy time, and nothing seems to bother you, and everything seems to be going great and peachy and, and all those things. Um, maybe it's because you've got to lean to you. Maybe because you do, because it's in times like these that God speaks and he speaks to the heart of the matter. And then finally let's consider after hearing this unlikely candidate who spoke, this Amos, in an unlikely times, like I said, unlikely, why would God speak in prosperity? Seem like he would speak he's speaking better in times of grief. No, I don't think so. I think we understand him in times of grief better, but I don't think he's speaking nearly as loud as he does in the times of prosperity. So he speaks an unlikely candidate through an unlikely candidate, speaks in unlikely times, and he speaks, unfortunately, and the reason why there's a famine, in unheeded words. He speaks in unheeded words. See, God still speaks through people, but there are new new revelations. These Yehus pronouncing new revelations turned them off. There are new revelations, because God's already said everything that He's going to say and everything that he wants you to know, and it's in his word. And yeah, he is speaking. These are them. Pay attention. Don't be hearers only. But listen. We don't need anything new to come to us. Because God has already given us all that he's going to give us. And despite what people feel, there is no drought. There is no drought. People are famished, yeah, but there's no drought of the word. There's, no fam- there's a famine, definitely, but there is no drought. Drought whatsoever. God's word is healing. It is fruitful. It is satisfying. It is filling. It is nourishing. But we have to hear it and we have to heed it or there will be a famine. You can be sure. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had one of the worst landfalling hurricanes, right? Over in Panhandle 4, they always catch it. You know, one of the worst, even worse than that one, was one that happened back in the early 90s called Hurricane Andrew. Anybody remember that one? Still today, one of the worst disasters in the United States, natural disasters in the United States history, just because of where it hit, Dade County. And uh, there, was a, there was a wind gust clocked on land from Hurricane Andrew of 177 miles per hour. I don't know when you ever rode 177 miles an hour and stuck your head out the window, but don't try it. Super bad. I don't know what 120-mile-an-hour winds are like when they hit your house, because I was here when we had one of those happen. But I've never had, or nor do I care to have, nor do I want anybody else to have, 177 miles. It was explained this way, somebody said, 177 mile an hour wind hitting your house is like a bomb hitting your house. It's just, I mean, if anything that can be shaken is coming down. So this happened. Hurricane Andrew uh, uh, just destroyed southern Southern Florida, uh, killed 65 people, injured hundreds. Uh, it was a terrible, horrible disaster. Uh, incredible things uh, that just happened there, just sad, super sad things that took place there. Uh, but, but the interesting thing was, from a biology side of things, I have a biology degree in fish, and some of us guys, not me, but some of us some similar degreed people, were over in southern Florida earlier in the summer that year, and they were, they were doing a biological experiment on sharks. Anybody ever watch Shark Week? One of the things they do is they catch sharks and they put these tags in them that can tell them where they are and they ping off of different buoys and stuff and they can triangulate the shark's direction and its position and they can tell where they are. and They they had caught a bunch of sharks and they were testing southern Florida sharks, which wear sandals, I'm sure. And, and they were my, how they migrated and how they moved and when they went off to Bahamas or different places. And so they were testing them. And then, of course, Hurricane Andrew came. And, of course, the whole study went down the toilet because who wants to study sharks when you can not even have a place to live? And so the whole thing was tabled for a while. And it wasn't for quite a while until they came back to it. But they still had these radio tags and these same sharks. And there were still buoys out there that were uh, determining their location. So they went back and they started collecting data. And they found interesting things. You know, the movement of the sharks were about the same as it had been before the hurricane, but they found something very interesting about two days prior to the hurricane's landfall. The sharks in the exact place where Hurricane Andrew actually hit land, which they didn't know for sure two days out where it would hit land, but two days out before it ever hit land, the sharks evaporated from that part of the coast. They just left. Some went south, some went north. They all left, though. And so... They weren't watching CNN or the Weather Channel. Where did they get this? And that was, this, is, this is the thing that's uh, uh, confused them, of course, confuses everybody. Where did they get their information from? See, the interesting thing was is that the sharks evaporated and really, um, so a hurricane blows in, what, are they going to drown the sharks? I mean, I don't know why they even left. But nonetheless, I mean, maybe something catastrophic. The sharks, somehow they knew and they left. And that was the only tagged creatures in the area. And they can't assume that for any other fish. But they knew these tagged creatures. They left the premises. And they left two days before. The interesting thing was is that the, the ones who were watching CNN, namely the people, and the Weather Channel, who were told at least a day in advance exactly where this massive, unbelievable hurricane which by the way downgraded somewhat before it ever hit it was just I mean completely lethal when it hit it was super lethal when it was still offshore in the Bahamas they knew where it was coming and we still killed 65 people and injured hundreds because why I want you to look at something here now we're almost done I said the last place and now this is officially the last place Amos chapter 1 verse 2 Amos starts this whole prophecy with, I think, something that tells us why the sharks did what they did, why people did not do, and why the people did what they did. Amos chapter 1, verse 2, it says, he, he said, and he said, The Lord roars from Zion. That's the hill where Jerusalem is. And from Jerusalem he utters his voice. And the shepherds notice, not the shepherds, but the shepherds' pasture, it says, gr- pasture grounds mourn. So, so the plants and the animals and the rocks and the dirt know when God speaks. I think they do. He created them, and the summit of Carmel it says dries up. Okay, so we got we got land, we got creatures, we got bugs, we've got dirt, we've got grass, and all those are submitting and humbling themselves to the speaking of God because they know when God speaks, even though we think we they can't hear, they can. And yeah, what are the people doing? They're getting plowed because they don't listen. They're getting plowed because they don't they hear it right. Oh, what was that? Well. Something you're not paying attention to, nor will you. Nonetheless, God's speaking, isn't he? God's speaking. God, God's proclaiming. Uh, we had a phrase where I grew up dumber than dirt. Yep. There are things dumber than dirt. Those that don't listen to the Lord. Those that hear, no 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 drought, right? Plenty of word going on. But there's a famine because they don't listen. They don't heed. I want to ask if you would bow your heads with me, close your eyes, as we consider the things that God has said to us this morning. Is there a drought in your life today? A drought? Now, there doesn't have to be a drought of the word because, because it's there. It's available. But sometimes the famine comes not because you don't know what it says, because you don't do what It says. There's a famine there because, because you've allowed things that you want to do, things that disagree with what God says is right, to dominate your life, to be, to be in charge, really, instead of God's word and what he says to be in charge. That's where the drought comes from. A lot of times it's not from knowing, knowing the right things and the wrong things to do. It's just simply not doing the right things. That's a drought. That's a real Famine. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to see the famine in our lives. God, we are such a dangerous place at a, at a time of prosperity, so in danger of not really seeing what's going on, so endangered to be lulled to sleep and lulled into thinking that what is wrong is right or at least okay, lulled into seeing a world that's crooked, truly, as being kind of okay straight for us it's not, it never is God I pray that you would reverse these famine conditions in our lives God I pray that you bring us to conviction about our obedience to you conviction about not just being hearers but listening to you and doing what you say God who knows I mean every day is another day and an opportunity to live and do what's right or not God, I pray that we would string a bunch of good days together so we can have a good life that honors and glorifies you. Thank you so much for speaking to us through this unlikely man in an unlikely way and in an unlikely time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.